February 19th, 2023. We're continuing in Misilat Yisharim. Still in the middle of Perek Yoda Aleph, where he's talking about the Piratim, the details with regards to this Midat HaNikiyut, this character trait known as Nikiyut, cleansing oneself. Cleansing oneself not in the physical sense per se, but in the spiritual sense. And what Misilat Yisharim has and will continue to do for us is uh, to talk about many of the Averos specifically that people fall prey to with regards to not paying attention to the particulars, the details that are easy to neglect or overlook. It was in the middle of what we were talking about the last time, uh, the Isur of Ma'achalot Asurot, of eating forbidden foods. He talked about the Tum'ah inherent in them, and we discussed and, uh, and elaborated on those matters. And here, uh, starting in the paragraph, Uchdeh he finishes this thought. Uchdeh shelo bilvad he says, and in order so that the Torah will tell, tell us and instruct us, it's not only forbidden animals, the impure animals, or the shikatsim, the eight uh, uh, crawling uh, creatures, that those are the ones which will impart, so to speak, to your body, this tum'ah, your soul, this tum'ah. You should know, even from the kosher species, if the animal which was slaughtered, what's known as taref, which means to say it has a blemish, which would bring to its death within 12 months, that too is not only forbidden for consumption, but it causes this tum'ah. Again, there's a specific chidush in this. I was to say that those animals, those animals are tameh, we generally associate the wild animals as the ones that are more tameh, the animals that maybe a god told us are problematic with regards to their character traits, their attributes. Right, that's tuma. This one, it's from the proper species. This one, uh, it's a cow, but it's tarif. All right, so I can't eat it. No, no, no. That too imparts a certain metaphysical, spiritual tuma. Hamar hakatuv, that's why the pasuk goes further and says, not only to eat kosher and not kosher, but lehavdil ben hatameu ben hataoru ba perush lerazal en sarich lomar ben hamor lefara. The Torah is not repeating in this statement that you should distinguish between that which is contaminating and that which is uh, pure, uh, the tameh and the tahor. It doesn't need to tell you the. The, the, the traditional ones, the ones that you know already, the hamor, the donkey, which is forbidden, to the para, which is uh, the cow, which is uh, permitted. So why does the Torah then, in a seemingly redundant fashion, say, ben hatameu ben hataohor, answers the Gemara, answers the Midrash, ben temeal lecha, um ben tehora lecha. It's a, with regards to what's going to cause you to man, not inherently in that species, but rather with regards to the way you'll approach it. If it was appropriately slaughtered, a full slaughtering or a partial slaughtering, whether it's going to be considered nevela or not. And how much is it with regards to what's a proper slaughter versus what's not a proper slaughter? It could be the size of a sa'ara, a hair. The, the width of a hair, that small amount, could distinguish between an animal which in turn is considered tahor, or alternatively, if not done fully, 
And the reason the rabbis conclude their statement with that, to tell you, They concluded with this expression of, of, of exaggeration to make clear, oh, it's, it's really, it's that fine, small, seemingly insignificant amount that doesn't just portray to us, well, this is what I should or shouldn't do. But it, it creates and, and it establishes a status for us. One is Tameh and the other is Tahor. It's not just let me stay away from this as some sort of siag, some sort of uh, uh, distance. No, no, no. This item, because not slaughtered properly, is considered Tameh. Continues Mesilat Yesharim and wrapping up this point. A person who in their skull has a true uh, mind, has a brain. Yahshov, if they want to do this properly, they should think, They should imagine non-kosher food as if it's poisonous. Or a food which has mixed into it some sort of poison. Uh, why would that help a person's vision? of? Uh, because instead of, he'll tell us in a moment, instead of uh, justifying and saying, well, I'm not certain, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, imagine this as Tameh and Tahor. Imagine this as poisonous or not. In turn, a person's going to distance themselves as much as they can possibly do from something that's poison. If indeed this would happen, that there's a safek, there's an uncertainty with regards to poison. Would a person eat or drink from something where there's even a small, a minuscule doubt with regards to uh, the presence of poison in it? They certainly won't be lenient with regards to their eating that or drinking it. And if they will, well, you'll look at them and others will, and you'll assume and consider them crazy out of their mind. He says, in terms, as the rabbis have described for us, the Torah, to a certain extent, has stated explicitly that not kosher food is to be considered envisioned and understood by us as something that's poisonous to the soul, to the mind, to the to the wherewithal of a person. In turn, what type of person is going to be lenient in a circumstance of any doubt? Now, in this context, it's important to note there's a well-known midrash about which there's a dispute between Harambam and his Moreh Nebuchim and Ramban Nachmani and how to, uh, how to understand it. The midrash has the following uh, expression which Harambam in the Moreh in Chilegim al-Perek Memchet addresses. The midrash has V'chima ichpat lahakadosh baruchu im shohet min ha-tzavar or shohet min ha-orif. And says the midrash, well, does God really care? Is there really a consideration on his behalf, whether you slaughter from the neck or from the, from the front of the neck or the back of the neck? Answers the Midrash, The purpose of the mitzvot, in turn, says the Midrash, is, is to purify human beings. That's the statement in the Midrash. So difficult to understand Midrash. Again, it starts with a rhetorical question, an ad absurdum statement. Does God really care about whether you slaughter from the front or the back? What's the difference, ultimately speaking? The response of the Midrash is 
that mitzvot were only given lesaref siruf means to purify etabiriot human beings. How do you interpret this midrash? Harambam famously again in Chelikimal of Mirenevuchim spends a lot of time and energy explaining many of the misvot with regards to their underpinnings. Ta'ameha misvot. For Harambam, appreciating a mitzvah is not only through experience with regards to action, but it's understanding what you're doing. It's not that that's what determines whether you fulfill the mitzvah or not. It doesn't mean you need to understand the philosophical underpinnings. It doesn't mean that you need to necessarily appreciate in order to fulfill the mitzvah what this is doing for you or the world at large. But it does mean, says Harambam, that if we're going to truly experience Torah and mitzvah, we're going to understand them. However, when he gets to this midrash, when he gets to a particular juncture in his interpretation of mitzvot, he stops and uh, moves off of that sort of track. And he suggests that when it comes to details of many mitzvot, there's not per se a rhyme or reason. There's no ta'am or siba, which means to say, for example, he writes, what's the reason that on certain korbanot you bring a specific amount of bulls and on other ones different amounts of goats? Says Harambam, to look into this matter, to try to come up with an explanation, you could, but in truth, in his opinion, that is without reason. That's just is. Uh, there is no ta'am to that. He points to this midrash. He suggests that's what this midrash is implying. The midrash says, does God care whether you slaughter from the front or the back? Effectively stating that not the shahita. Shahita has a reason to it. The slaughter in the appropriate fashion certainly looked at the ta'am hadava. Korbanot Hill suggests furthermore has a reason to it. The details, some of them at the very least, that go into it, and he picks up on that specific, that the Midrash doesn't say, does it God matter or care whether you slaughter or not? It's whether you slaughter from the front or back. That's where you won't necessarily have a ta'am or siba. Ramban Nachman, in his commentary to the Torah, disagrees vehemently with Harambam in this. Ramban Nachmani disagrees, and his claim is, well, you didn't read my words. You didn't read the end of the Midrash, Harambam. The end of the Midrash, it's in his commentary to Devarim Perekafbet, this is the end of the Midrash says again, it starts with a rhetorical question. Does God really care about whether you slaughter from the front of the... But then it gave an answer. Ela, rather, the mitzvot were lesaref behenet abiriot. So effectively, the Midrash is suggesting in Ramban's understanding that the mitzvot are there not for God, but for human beings. In other words, that's the description, which means to say, again, Ramban brings us in a different direction. He says, it's not that way it's suggesting that the details are insignificant. Whether we're referring specifically to details or not, we're referring to purpose of mitzvot above and beyond um, a God uh, effect. God doesn't need that effect. The Midrash is expressing, expressing incredulously, does God really care? The answer is God doesn't really care. So who does care? Well, human beings. We are Misuraf. Maharal, in his book Tiferet Israel here in Perek Zion, suggests that although there are mitzvot which you and I and Harambam, Sefer HaChinuch, and so many others could and would point to and say, I know why this is commanded. The Torah tells me why in this circumstance or another one, why I'm commanded, what it's going to do to me. When this Midrash references what it's effectively stating is in the metaphysical realm, beyond the mitzvot that you and I can characterize as purposeful with regards to what it will do for you or for me. That's one level. But beyond that, the fact that you're a part of a system which was God-mandated, an instruction manual handed over to you and me by God, 
follow these. The statement of the Midrash explains Maharal of Prague is that performance of these mitzvot appropriately puts you in a certain seder. It enters you into the structure for your soul, for your mind, beyond your body. The body is partially the, the reason of many mitzvot. The idea of slaughtering from the front to the back, for example, of this midrash, is not per se going to affect humanity, your mind per se, in the simple sense. It is going to have an effect on your soul in some respect. It's a mystical approach with which Harambam would not so much identify with, we understand why. But Misilat Yesharim, in this context, again, is very much strengthening this point with regards to Ma'achalot Asurot. Ma'achalot Asurot, he's not pointing to some rational interpretation. He's not, and at the very, at, 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 in truth, he's quoting from this Midrash to make this point more forcefully. He says, this Midrash is telling you it's not about that animal or this animal. It's about the type of slaughter, the appropriate one or the inappropriate one, says, says Ramchal in Misilat Yesharim. Again, expanding this in that sort of direction, the purpose for this, the underlying essence of here, is Tumata Nefesh. The purpose for this is Taharata Nefesh, if you're doing this right, which in the, again, in the words of Maharal, means that you've found yourself in an appropriate seder. You've entered yourself into a spiritual domain divinely crafted for you, telling you where to be, what to do. That's the purpose. Based on this order, this structure. If you entered into that appropriately, you're not, you're not exiting it. You're, 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 you're crafting in an appropriate way a structure for your soul. The mitzvot give a person a certain structure in order for us not to exit from it. Um, he writes afterwards, he, he likens it, as a matter of fact, uh, afterwards, if I'm not mistaken, to a tree. He likens it to a tree in which the uh, outgrowth from the um, from the what's planted in the ground is going to, in some way, resemble what was planted. If you're going to do this appropriately, if the tree is going to grow in a natural fashion, so it's going to grow in the way that the seed corresponds with that which is grown afterwards. You have to treat it in such a fashion. That's how you see the natural outgrowth. His understanding in turn is, so to speak, we have this soul, and as a result, the proper cultivation is the outgrowth, or those anafim, or those perot, which is a reference to the mitzvot, um, which which grow from it. Yes? I mean, I, I feel like Ramban and Ramban, you could argue, are not really disagreeing. I mean, obviously Ramban thinks he's disagreeing with him, but I always understand that Ramban is, he's, he's saying it's a very important to have details, because this is a very slippery slope area of Abu It's, it's, it's definitely understood. To me, saying you need to have details. Do these specific details need to be this way? Understood. But I don't want it to be... Understood. Understood. And that does refine the slope, In other words, what right? Dr. Masri suggests is that Harambam himself, who said that the details don't per se have reason, I think what he's saying is, doesn't per se negate what Ramban Nachmani said. It kind of, I think it's what he's suggesting, lends, lends way to this Maharal type of approach. In other words, yes, the essence of a mitzvah, the general perspective, is a way that you and I can associate and say, I know why I do this, I know what this is going to do to me, to society, and so on and so forth. The details, says Harambam, might just be there so that you're in line, so that you follow straight, 
so that you have that certain structure. They, they, they imbue, they engender within you certain something, discipline, discipline beyond the, uh, the uh, natural law and vision of how it'll affect you in this world. I, I once re- I remember reading um, such an approach to Harambam in the book by Micah Goodman, if I remember correctly, on the Mora. And in that book he was suggesting, he likened it to the army. I've mentioned this example more than once. It says in the army, at least in the Israeli army, at least in his day, if you pick up your left foot before your right foot, if I remember correctly, you get in trouble. Is that so? Now, why are you getting in trouble? What's the essence to the right foot over the left foot? So the answer, effectively, is nothing. I'm not talking about halakha. I'm talking about the Israeli army. Uh, so then why are you getting uh, put in the kele? Why are you getting uh, in trouble for doing so? The answer is you're a part of this. And being a part of this, that tzedah, that discipline, might be very much what Harambam is uh, perhaps, to a certain extent, implying as well. Understood again, Ramhal and by extension Ramban Nahmani will imbue this with a certain tahara and tumata nefesh words that Ramban might not use but might associate with in a different way or an identical way. Unedaber ata says Mesilat Yisharim. Let's now talk al hahataim ha midinim or miniim ha noladim mechevrat bnei adam bekibutzam. Let's talk about. Um, pitfalls and sins which are born, which are an outgrowth from social encounters, involvement with other people. Kegon, for example, taking advantage of others with words. Embarrassing another one. Misleading a person who's blind in some circumstance, not physically per se, but they don't have a proper perspective and you give them misleading advice. Rechilut, slander with speech, sin'ah, uh, hatred, nikima, revenge, shivu'ot, swears, divar sheker, lying, chilul Hashem, profaning God's name, ki mi yomar, who's the person, of course the answer is going to be no one, niketi mehem taharti me'ashma dam, who's the person who will be able to truthfully claim and state about themselves, I've cleansed myself of these sorts of sins. I no longer have any of these, uh, I'm not guilty on any of these. Because the branches with regards to each of these, the details are abundant, they're many. And they're, and, and they're intricate. Uh, to the extent that being careful with them, Torah Gadol, is a very difficult labor. So says Ramchal, I'll now bring you through some of this. Let's first talk about taking advantage of a person with speech. It's a circumstance where a person talks about another in a way that will cause embarrassment or does an action which causes embarrassment to that person. We're not talking per se about incurring uh, a, a loss of money. We're talking about embarrassment in the very simple way that it is, an isur envisioned by the rabbis, the Mishnah and Masechet Bava Mitzia, as an isur from the Torah, prohibition from the Torah to do that to a person. This is the Mishnah there in, in Masechet Bava Mitzia, if a person had in the past sinned, and now he's a Baal Teshuvah, he repented, he fixed his ways, 
or she did. Lo yomar lo, shouldn't say to them, Zechor ma'asecha harishonim. Remember what you used to do? Remember your original actions? Im hayu cholayim ba'im alav. Alternatively, if a person is, has ailments, he's in a difficult stage of life, and you shouldn't have this expression of, you know, it doesn't really happen, that a person who's naki, who's cleansed of sins, is going to get lost, is going to have difficulty. In other words, implying to them, you better do tissue by, you better introspect. I mean, obviously, as Mesilat Yesharim will refer us to in a bit, there is a mitzvah There is a mitzvah of rebuking a person, but it's velotisa alav chet. You have to do it with caution. You have to do it with care, with precision, in the way that you approach another person. Im hayu hamarim Another example in the Gemara and the Mishnah. If there are people who, uh, for their donkeys, uh, need tivua, they need grain. Lo yomar lahem. Don't say to them when you don't have it. Lechu esel ploni shu mocher tivua biyodeh ba shelo machat tivua miyamav. You know, go down the block. Go down on the road, go uh, to the other neighborhood. I know this guy, he's got wonderful grain, but you know that the person doesn't have the grain. Now, the simple interpretation over there seems to be that you're taking advantage of the hamarim, of the people whom you're sending on a... On a wild, uh, on a wild chase. So alternatively, Rashi Mesilat Yeshari might be envisioning this as uh, you're you're taking advantage of of those hamarim. They're going to show up at the door. Hi, do you have tevuan hazato? Now you embarrass them in that context. No, I don't have it. I don't know why you were sent here. It's another circumstance of unnecessarily and illegally taking advantage of a person with speech. And the statement in truth in Gemara Bava Mitzvah is that it's worse and greater in terms of iniquity and wrongdoing when a person takes advantage of another with speech than when they take advantage with money. Uh, the Gemara, in fact, has that uh, the Pasuk says with regards to speech, you should uh, fear God. And, uh, and the difference between the two is one uh, has just to do with their money. You can return the money if you took advantage. Uh, the other, which has to do with speech, which has to do with the essence of the person, there's no going back in time and changing that. And certainly in all the more so, the Mishnah Navot and Perekimal says that a person embarrasses another in public that loses their portion in the world to come. Now, what is Hona'atevarim or Ona'atevarim? Harambam in his characterization of it mentions two words, if I'm not mistaken. He tells it's Mach'ivim or Mach'isim It's something that gives the person pain or anger. Or uh, maybe Sefer HaChinuch has the last one, Mach'ivim or Mesa'arim. It gives pain or uh, a sorrow of uh, some sort. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Any speech which will in turn cause that person, another person, that those sorts of emotional expressions. Again, not necessarily affecting their wherewithal in life or their financial well, well-being. And that in and of itself is a violation of this issue from the Torah. The Gemara has further, Rav Hasta, that all the gates, so to speak, of prayer, God has locked up at a certain point in time, except for those who cry out to him because they've been taken advantage by another. There's a certain passion, compassion rather, from God to those who were um, the, the, un, uh, uh, the 
uh, unfortunate recipients of Ona'a. The statement in turn being Ona'a is quite severe. And furthermore, sends messengers to affect us uh, with regards to anything and everything when we're deservant of punishment except for Ona'a. Ona'a, it's direct. It's without any intermediary. Of course, Lehavdil, we envision uh, the greatest relationship with God as one in which we're face-to-face with Him. So obviously the worst punishment is going to be when you're face-to-face with Him as well. Uh, when you send a, uh, a text message to a person, it feels a little, bit less, uh, a little bit less passionate, a little bit less love than when you have a conversation with them. It feels a little le- less passionate and loving when you have a conversation than when you're face-to-face with them. So too, if you're rebuking, sending a letter to a person is not the same thing as, as, as having the conversation, and certainly not staring them in the eyes as you do so. In turn, the statement here is, excuse me, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent shaliyah for everything. It's a little bit more removed. It's a little bit less in your face. And uh, it blunts the blow a little bit, except for Ona'a, that's the more severe one. And similarly, there are three uh, sins about which the Pargod, similar to the Sha'arim, uh, this commentary quotes from, uh, from, from the, the Gemara there, from, from Maharshan, the Gemara over there, the difference between Pargod and Sha'arim is Sha'arim is after the destruction, Pargod is during the destruction. But the statement nonetheless is that Kivyachola Kadosh Baruch Hu doesn't accept prayer easily for anything, but there are exceptions to that. And Ona'a, a person who's the unfortunate recipient of being taken advantage by another, even with speech, well, that's open gates. That's a person who's been wronged, and in turn, he's there for them. That's what I was referring to earlier. The Gemara in Arachin says that although we have a mitzvah to rebuke another, but it's with care. With caution, it's from each of these statements you'll see and understand. You understand the details, the derivations of this prohibition, the severity of this wrongdoing, and in turn you understand and are able to internalize how much you and we need to work on such matters. It's easy to take advantage of another person with words. It's much more difficult to repair it, to set forth for yourself a way in life in which you avoid wronging others with speech is something which is, in the words of the Torah, in the eyes of the Hachamim, has to be at the forefront of our mind on a constant basis. By definition, being in Egypt, the Torah tells us more than once, was an experience in which we were taken advantage of. As a result, we have a mandate or responsibility for not only the downtrodden and the widows and the orphans, but for every person. Every person is deservant of that proper respect of not embarrassing, of not taking advantage with speech or in any other way. continues what about in terms of giving advice, wrongful advice, or proper advice? Shaninu b'Torat Kohanim. He says the Midrash Halacha to Vayikra has the pasuk. In front of a blind person, you can't put a stumbling block. It's in front of a person who's blind on the matter, which means to say they're not understanding of the circumstance. They're not. 
uh, realizing what's to come, and you in turn are setting them up to fall. Person turns to you and asks for suggestion, for advice in marriage. Is this person permitted to kehuna? Is she a gerusha? Does she have any other blemishes? And the response is, oh yeah, absolutely. When you're aware that she's not kishera, such a circumstance, you're setting him up for a stumbling. If he's looking for a general, maybe not halakha, but a general advice, don't give him wrong advice. Don't tell him to sell his field or to sell his donkey. When your plan is to then grab it, then to be able to get it. In other words, you don't actually think you should sell it. You just want it for yourself. Maybe you'll say to yourself, There's no, I was giving him good advice. You can't say that. The Pasuk again says, You have to have fear from God. And the Torah has that uh, conclusion to the Pasuk, conclusion to the prohibition. It's saying, This is a matter which you're well aware of why and what your, what, what your um, direction was in giving this advice. We in turn learn whether it's a matter that you're biased, that attaches itself to you and in some way affects you or not. A person is, is obligated to be absolutely and fully transparent and clear. And you should know that the Torah is well aware of the way of trickery and those who do look to slyly mislead others. It's well aware that we're not dealing with people who are quite clearly and you can't miss it. They're misleading others. It says that and the Torah in its v'yaret me'elohecha is talking to us as human beings who are more crafty, more sly than the simple person who misleads another. It's saying, although it looks like you're giving proper advice, although it appears to the onlooker, even to the person who's listening to you, as if oh, you had the proper object- objective, you were looking out for them, but in truth, you had some bias, some slant for yourself. It's for that reason, the Torah and the Hakamim explaining it is warning you. This is a matter which is in your heart, in your mind, which is well aware of its transparent, your wrongdoing. People have this mistake, which is committed on a constant and consistent basis. It's that which in Sefer Devarim, the curse is to a person who's mashke, who misleads an iver, person who's, so to speak, blind, badarech. In truth, I, you know, on more than one occasion, feel that uh, as a teacher, it's a certain responsibility of mine to allow not for my own bias to be injected into the life and mind of a student, which is not always simple. They're oftentimes turning to you for advice on you directing them, on you steering them. But the question is, as a teacher, and in turn, as anyone who has others working with them or children, the question is, with regards to that guidance, what's the guidance? Is the guidance for yourself because you envision that this will lead to a greater success for you? Or alternatively, you're looking really, fully and completely for their greatness and for their growth. 
I saw this matter recently likened uh, to the Gemara in Masechet Hagiga and Yodzayim. The Gemara has a derasha from Pasuk in Malachi that you're supposed to, you know, as the Hachamim, is supposed to learn Torah from a person who's like a Malach Hashem Sevakot. You're supposed to find the Kohen, the teacher, who's like a Malach. And, uh, of course, that's not simple interpret. It's not simple to interpret. The Gemara, in turn, questions Rabbi Meir, who studied Torah with Elisha ben Avuya, with an individual who was not uh, like a Malach in terms of his character traits. There was a suggestion that I recently read that, that envisions it as follows. The Navi elsewhere talks about the difference between angels and, uh, and human beings, and Nefesh HaHayim, you might recall last year we learned this, uh, called attention to this. Um, the difference between the two is that uh, angels are envisioned as Omedim, they're standing, whereas human beings are Mahalechim, they walk. The difference again being human beings can develop, human beings can strive to develop and become different, whereas angels, the way we envision them, are set with a mission. They do that which they're commanded. They don't stray. They don't sway one way or another. They're not able to be creatively um, uh, push the limits or determine matters in a different way. The statement in turn is what sort of teacher are you striving, are you, are you looking for? Who is the individual you turn to for perspective, for direction, for, um, for a way of life? Is it the person who he himself or she herself are walking, are looking for their own self-development, or alternatively, in their capacity as a teacher, they're like a malach, they're omed, their understanding is that they need to bring you to be holech, but they themselves are in place. They're not looking to advance. That's similar to the statement over here with regards to giving that advice. It's very tenuous, it's very difficult. The person's turning to you for advice. How are you envisioning this circumstance, the way it's going to in some way reflect or affect you, or alternative you, are you looking to them, for them specifically, your omed, and allowing for them to be mehalech. Achzot, he concludes this sort of thought, he adam the straight way of a person, should be in a circumstance where someone comes to consult with them. to give them the advice that you yourself would be looking for or would follow without anything with regards to any other consideration. What if I understand that by me giving them this advice, well, it's going to somehow negatively affect me. Forget about positively. If I give them another way, that's going to. If you're able to make that clear to the person who's looking for the advice, tell them. And if you're not able to, if it's going to somehow blow up, you shouldn't be involved in such a circumstance. Again, if the fear is that somehow it's going to negatively portray or affect you, you either make that clear, but you give them the proper advice, or alternatively, get out of it. However, the perspective, the vantage point needs to be specifically and only the person who's asking for the advice. Otherwise, it's otherwise you're misleading them. Again, in the domain of parenting, in the domain of advice to others or teaching in, in, any, in, other, in every other realm, the same, same is true. It might not be but it's not a truly mood if you're looking for your own halicha and not just encouraging theirs while acting like the malach who's in place stationary and not advancing yourself. Of course, that's all to the ex- uh, exclusion of what if they're looking 
to skew this negatively. The person comes to you for advice, but they don't really want advice. They want to take your words and somehow skew them and, and get you on whatever you're going to say. Shazvadai mitzvah daramoto in such a circumstance, and only in that circumstance and situation are you supposed to in turn trick them, throw back at them. Ukvar in truth, the Pasuk says in Tilim, vir ikesh titpatal, a person who's, um, who, who's, uh, uh, who's tricking and skewing truth you in turn should have that ability to overcome it, the Yaakov and Lavan experience. And in truth, in the story of Ahitophel and his uh, and, and the rebellion of Avshalom, uh, the role that Hushai Ha'arki plays over there is, is very much in line with this, that when you're dealing with someone who has wrong in mind, and that's clear and understood to all, or at the very least to you, in that situation, only in that situation, are you allowed to be merameh, allowed to give not truthful and straight advice. Baruch Adonai